Mel Blanc, the voice of Porky Pig, has, that's all, folks. That's all, folks. And then there's Jeremiah Johnson, whose tombstone ruefully says, I told you I was sick. These epitaphs are playful and poignant. Ruth Graham, the first lady of, of evangelicalism, hers is pious in the best sense of the word. Billy Graham's wife is buried in North Carolina on their mountain estate and inspired by a favorite saying of Mrs. Graham uh, taken from a roadside sign. Her simple gravestone reads, End of construction, thank you for your patience. I like that. The second letter to Timothy is, in many respects, the Apostle Paul's last will and testament. Verse 7 of chapter 4 would be a fitting inscription for Paul's tombstone. But first, Paul has a final appeal to Timothy, who's trying to minister to people who have no stomach for solid teaching. Instead, Paul reminds Timothy of what he already knows. These people are ditching him for preachers who tickle their fancy. And so Paul writes in verse 5, As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of the evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Now that is certainly a helpful charge for pastors. Remain calm, steady, stick to your convictions. I have learned these past 15 years, a pastor needs a thick skin and a short memory. And both could be very helpful. A pastor needs to keep his cool and stay focused on preaching the gospel. Those tough times that I've been through have made my new pulpit here with you and with your warm welcome all the more sweet, all the more precious to me the way you've welcomed me this past year. And beloved, I promise to you, I will never take your trust for granted. But this verse also is helpful for church folk because it teaches us how we're to pray for our pastors. Pray this verse for me. Pray this verse for Pastor Andy that we will remain steady, that we'll endure, that we will do the work of an evangelist, which in our calling is to preach the word of God. That is the work of an evangelist. And that Pastor Andy and I would fulfill our ministry joyfully. But I want to take a step even further back from that and say, this is our prayer for you, for the church. Remember the sense of urgency with which I preached two weeks ago. We're to pray that the gospel would go out in all of our ministries at Nielsville and that people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ while there's still time. That they would come to trust him for salvation. You and I have been entrusted with the gospel. By your membership covenant, you've made a promise to God and to one another. That means that we are obligated to keep that sacred trust together. That we all do the work of evangelists. That we all fulfill our ministry. That work can start right now. Look at the people sitting next to you. Go ahead, look at the person or in front of you. If there's someone you don't recognize, take a moment to pray for them. Choir, look out. You don't recognize everybody. If you have good enough vision, take a moment. We'll pause. Go ahead. Go ahead and do that. Pray for that person. Pray God's blessing right now. You can start your ministry right now. I'll wait.
That can start right after the service to love one another, to welcome new visitors that are coming for the first time. That can start tonight. Join us for prayer tonight in Fellowship Hall. That can start this week when you invite a friend to service during Lent or Easter. The service, services that we are planning are going to be an awesome opportunity for you to invite that neighbor, invite that friend you've been looking forward to coming to church. Say, this is the day. I would love for you to come to church. And we'll go out afterwards, out to lunch, and we'll talk about what happened at Nielsville. That's the work of evangelists. So friends, my prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit would make us more and more concerned for the unsaved, that, that God would give us a burden, a heart for the lost and that we would desire as a church to see, to witness conversion. That we pray, Lord, give us the privilege. Give us the privilege of working through us by your Holy Spirit to draw people to yourself of every tongue and tribe and nation. That we would witness life change. That we would witness professions of faith and baptisms in your holy triune name. It's a great prayer. But then Paul writes... In verse 6 of his impending death, look there with me. He says, I am being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my, my departure has come. You'll recall Paul's opening remarks in chapter 1, verse 8. Instead of saying that he was a prisoner of the state, he said, I am a prisoner of Christ. I am exactly where God wants me to be in this dungeon. And then here at the end, instead of saying, I've been wrongly imprisoned, get me out of here. He says, in effect, my life has been a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2. My life has been a living sacrifice to God. And now I am being poured out for his glory. He's making a reference to Numbers chapter 15. When the lamb was sacrificed, the last thing that happened in the offering was the pouring out of about a gallon of wine beside the altar. And so Paul's saying, I'm being poured out like that final act of the sacrificial ceremony. Praise God, he says. Praise Jesus. All hail King Jesus. That he would find me fit to pour out my life for his glory. He says, Timothy, I'm, I've poured myself out for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of seeing people's lives changed, for the sake of his great name. I've invested every last ounce of energy I have. And then Paul's epitaph, epitaph his tombstone, verse 7. He writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. The illustrations of a fight and a race speak to what it means to keep faith in Jesus Christ. Keeping faith, taking Jesus at his word, invites spiritual blows from the world around you. Now that's not easy in any circumstances but it's especially hard when people who are meant to be in your corner are ditching you. That's what was happening to Timothy. He's out there in the ring, and he looks, and everyone is leaving him. I know what that feels like. 
And keeping faith in Jesus will drain you like running a marathon. You're totally spent. You're wrung out. But you've got to keep running. You have to run the full 26 miles to the finish line. Pastor Andy knows what that feels like. And Jesus put it this way in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. By the way, this is an important reminder in all of our work of evangelism as a church. Our message and our methods must line up with the gospel. We have to take the message of the gospel all the way, all three rounds, all the way to the finish line, all the way to its logical conclusion, all of what Jesus is commanding us to do in walking this narrow, hard path. The gospel is Christ died in our place. He bore our punishment. He provided an alien righteousness for us, and he offers it to every single human being, and it is received by the gift of faith alone. And when faith comes by grace, we are united to him, and that righteousness that is alien to us is imputed upon us, and we have peace with God and peace with one another. And now, the gospel says, we no longer live for ourselves, but for Christ and for one another. We love God and we love our neighbor, and we are willing to die to self in order to honor Christ and to honor one another. We aim to make much of Christ. Now, if that's our message, and friends, there isn't any sweeter message than that, or more straightforward, but if that's our message, but our method of evangelism is we aim to please, we have great programs to meet all of your needs, our goal is to make everybody happy, well then, I can preach the sweet gospel message from the pulpit, but it won't, it won't be what we really are all about. Instead, our message will be tainted by this method. The sweet gospel message will be tainted by a saccharine, sweet and low synthetic substitute for the real thing. So I can fulfill my ministry up here in the pulpit, but it's got to be lived out by you. You have to live it out. 20 minutes on a Sunday morning of hearing me preach the good old message that we rely on is not enough. It has to happen in your everyday lives. It has to happen out in the hallways, in the classrooms. It has to happen, dear friends. And Pastor Andy and I cannot do it without you. We will fail if you do not succeed. I'm talking about Jesus' radical claim on your life. Paul says, in spite of the hardship, in spite of the erosion of biblical fidelity, in spite of wayward mixed messages out there, these are so timely. It was happening then, it's happening now. He says, by God's grace, I have kept the faith. And then verse 8, 
Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. He's not being boastful or prideful. He's just calling how he, how he sees it. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In the ancient games, a crown was given to those who finished well. As Paul entered uh, near the end, he turned his eyes to heaven and with unwavering certainty anticipated receiving a much better reward, a crown of righteousness. And he says, now, Timothy, you pick up the baton. You keep going. What do you want on your tombstone? Nearly every day I walk past our own cemetery. Each marker shows the beginning and the end of a dearly departed one, the date of their birth and of their death, and in between there's a hyphen, a little dash, that represents all the time that person spent on planet Earth. It's that little dash that makes all the difference. It's that little hyphen in the, ma- in the middle that matters most. Those whose loved ones have passed away, they know what that line represents. But you know who else knows? King Jesus knows, the righteous judge. He knows what your dash will represent. Friends, today is a gift. Look at your life and your priorities in the face of eternity. What you do with your one life on earth, the way you run the race, the way you fight the fight, will make the difference between sharing in the promises of the gospel or being disqualified. And it will make the difference between receiving the crown of righteousness on that day or not. Friends, I believe in Jesus. I believe in him and I take him at his word. And I also believe in you. I believe that you will preserve in the faith and never surrender to the enemy of your souls. Because perseverance is the promise of the new covenant obtained by the blood of Christ poured out for you and for many. Worked in us by God himself. You were saved on Calvary for this. And the Holy Spirit is here to empower you today to live this life that you might say at the end, by God's grace, I fought the good fight. By God's grace, I finish the race. Oh, by God's sweet grace, and the love of my brothers and sisters, I've kept the faith. John Piper writes in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. He writes this, and I'll conclude here. He writes, God created us to live with a single passion, to joyfully display his supreme excellence in all of life. The wasted life is the life without this passion. You have this one life in order that you might display the supreme value of Jesus and treasure him above all things. So what do you do? Love one another. Do the work of evangelists, keep the faith, be willing to risk and sacrifice 
if he calls on you in order to honor him. Because you can't take it with you, friends. What do you want on your tombstone? What will that little dash mean? Pastor Andy, would you please come and lead us in prayer?